Hello, this is Emily Wright, Head of Content at EG, and today we're talking about how digital technologies are reimagining the everyday. Quite a big topic there. Um, so many of the most compelling tech solutions for real estate have a simple rationale, using digital technologies to expedite long-standing processes. Um, we all know the pandemic has accelerated a trend towards digital first, but the transformation is far from complete. Uh, questions remain around how to bridge the gap between the new and the old, and the most simple of ideas still need very careful execution. Today's podcast is all about that, and I'm joined by three people who are very well placed to discuss all things digital. Andrew Lloyd, Managing Director, Search Acumen, Marcus Mufarage, founder and CEO of Illity, and Theresa Lee, Vice President of Roundhill Ventures. Hello, everybody. Thank you very much for joining me. So let's start off with a question that really does embody this podcast. And I mentioned it a bit in the introduction, which is that some of the most effective real estate tech solutions tackle pretty basic albeit time-consuming processes. What does that say about the real estate industry in terms of its adoption of digital? Is it a bad thing that we're still at that process or is it a good thing? Is it good that technology is being used to really tackle some of those very simple problems but ones that really do need a solution? Um, let's start with you. Let's start with Teresa on that if you don't mind. Sure, absolutely. Um, I don't see it as good or bad. I think it's just good that it's happening. Uh, I, I think it's pretty well known that the real estate industry is quite behind in terms of tech adoption and innovation. Um, so I think a lot of the things we're seeing now are what we, you know, we see is quite simple. Uh, but that also means that there's a lot of low-hanging fruit and a lot of opportunities to move the needle quite quickly. Um, so I think either way, I see it as a great thing that the technology is here, um, even if it is a little bit behind other industries. Thank you very much. And same question to Marcus. Yeah, um, I, I definitely agree with, with Teresa. I think it's a good thing that there's movement at all because there certainly has been a tendency for owners and and, uh, and and the real estate industry in general to sort of rely on their, you know, we took the risk, we built the building, we're getting 20%, we'll just go to the Hamptons and uh, we'll go to the Cotswolds and, and come back in 15 years when your lease is just about up and, and, uh, and renew you. So it was very light touch, very... Um, very low service, uh, and, that, and that worked really well, but it is definitely changing. Um, I get really worried using the low-hanging fruit term because I think that the, the prop tech market gets really fragmented with a bunch of solutions that don't necessarily have problems. Um, and so I think that, you know, if there is a negative there, we, we want to make sure that we're solving the, the bigger problems uh, and, and building a framework for, you know, a robust technology management in, in, in real estate. And so, uh, you know, certainly that's what, that's what we've tried to do, you know, not just build an app, um, but actually, you know, try and really legitimately solve the problem in a big way and then, you know, let that scale using technology. Thank you very much. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to come to Andrew on that question and then we're going to be um, a bit unorthodox in that then I'm also going to go back through the panel. And actually, I think it'd be really useful just because, Marcus, you mentioned there about, you know, what you guys are doing just to get um, a very quick overview as to what each of you, you know, what it is that you're focused on day to day. Probably should have done it at the beginning, but I don't see any problem in doing it after one question. It's a bit like having a trailer to the main film. Um, so, Andrew, uh, same question to you looking at um, tech solutions tackling those quite basic um, issues and is it a good thing is it a bad thing is it neither 
Uh, I, I think there's 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 good points that both Therese and Marcus made there. From our perspective, and again, we'll explain a bit about the market that we're in. I think it's right. There's been no real pressure on the industry to change. And I think if you were to look at any sector that's come through some kind of, of modernization or digitization, it always starts with the, you know, with the, the, the simple time consuming things first and then moves its way into the more complex operations, whether you're talking about building cars or, or selling homes. Right? It, you've got to do the simple stuff first. So I think it's no surprise that we're there. I also think it's no surprise that the industry is one of the last to change because up until now, it's been perfectly capable in our sector of, of buying and selling a million plus homes a year without needing to modernise up until this point, despite the best efforts of, of people like us in the industry. Um, but I think there are some interesting things in terms of both technology and market pressures that are changing now, that's starting to, to move that forward, and, and it's quite an exciting time. Mm. Thank you very much. So that was the trainer. Um, and now let's just get a bit of a sense from each of you um, as to what you're specifically focused on. And then we'll move on to, to go through some of the other points for discussion today. So, um, again, let's start with you, Teresa. If you could give just a bit of an overview, that would be fantastic. Sure, absolutely. Uh, I head up our strategic engagement team at Roundhill Ventures. So Roundhill Ventures invests in um, late seed to Series B prop tech focused on Europe uh, and Israel. Uh, we look at the whole prop tech market from uh, commercial to uh, construction to residential as well. Brilliant. Thank you very much. And Marcus? Uh, yeah, so Ility is, um, is a software, is a, is a framework actually to, you know, we say, well, you know, we're the, we're the building blocks of digitizing real estate. So we looked at a lot of other industries that had successfully digitized and realized there wasn't really a framework. Um, you know, a lot of people building platforms that solve the individual problem, again, just going for that low-hanging fruit, but not a framework to really tie those solutions together. Uh, and a lot of people building apps for, for solutions rather than solving the problem. So, you know, our view is that tenant engagement, as an example, isn't an app. Tenant engagement is an outcome um, from using a really good framework and building a really good solution that's actually going to engage your tenants. So we, we designed a thing called physical rights management. It basically says that every interaction between a human and a building is a right that can be packaged, priced, and distributed. And this is very similar to digital rights management that you know sort of transformed the, both the software and the entertainment industries. It's a little bit like uh, the, the travel industry who were pretty early adopters of digitization uh, that you know, packaging, pricing, and distribution of aeroplane seats was always sort of done by a piece of software that was separate to the engagement, all those things. So we've built a framework to try and, uh, to, to, to try and get, uh, simplify complex stuff. Perfect. Thank you very much. And Andrew? Yeah, so Search Acumen has been a, a, or is a provider of, of property data, essentially, primarily to the, to the legal and due diligence market space, commercial real estate and residential. So whenever property is coming up for some kind of transaction um, or there's some sort of research work being done, then we are able to, to provide that. Traditionally would have been sort of search reports, but moving forward now becoming more and more digital and analytical reviews of, of available information and data around property and, and creating the, the platform for that legal market space. Lovely. Thank you very much. So we started off talking about um, some of the real estate tech solutions tackling basic and time-consuming processes. Um, and, you know, that not necessarily being a good thing or a bad thing, just good that it's happening. Uh, 
I think there has been a lot of chat, there certainly was last year, and I think it's continued into this year, that the pandemic has, um, I don't know if changed is the right word, but certainly um, accelerated um, the use of, of technology. Um, it's interesting whether there's a greater enthusiasm for digital technology in real estate. I sort of want the question to go a bit deeper than that. And do you think it matters that any enthusiasm or acceptance has come out of necessity? Um, in an ideal world, we love it if everybody suddenly said, oh, I've seen the light and technology is, you know, what we need for X, Y and Z. Um, but realistically, it might be more that companies or, or individuals have thought mm, the way out of this is to embrace technology. So does it matter that it's necessity in some cases that is, that's driven this? Um, and let's start with Marcus on that. Um, uh, yeah, I think it's always, you know, the, the, it kind of needs to be driven by necessity when it gets to, to this point. And if something's working, like why change it? Um, the, the, the issue is that, that what, what, uh, what, what landlords need now or what, what the property industry needs now is responsiveness. Um, and so it's not even like we've got to come up with an immediate solution and they've gone, oh, my God, we have a need for an immediate solution. It's like we're not 100 percent sure what the solution is going to be, but we definitely are going to need to respond in some way. So there's <clears throat> there's a real urgency to respond in some way. Um, and there's a little bit of uncertainty around exactly what that way is going to be. And so some of the the technology that's currently used because of that sort of long tail of of, of, uh, of low-touch service is, is not responsive at all, and it makes it really, really difficult for for, for the owners and for, for the landlords to, to be responsive in what may be a hybrid market, in what may be a more flexible market, in what may be a work-from-home market. Uh, so I think there's definitely a, a, an alertness that they're going to have to be responsive to the change that's coming in six months, a year, three years, and five years. Mm. Thank you very much. Andrew, the same question to you. Uh, yeah, I, I think I agree. I think necessity is essential um, in in changing you know behaviours in in any market. You you need to have that that sort of push pull, um, and I mean that necessity can be you know can be driven by a number of different factors. And, and certainly in the case of the last eighteen months, um, a big sort of eye opener in our market will have been what happened to HM Land Registry you know, responsible for managing all of our property in the UK and were unable to operate in their traditional way once the pandemic sent everyone to work from home. And they had to embrace overnight the ability to change how they operated, get their uh, caseworkers set up from home, implement remote connectivity and start to think about managing their portfolio of ownership in a more digital way. And there's no going back from that, right? Once, once you've had that push, um, there's no reason to. You realise how much simpler things can be, how much more flexible your workforce is. So something like the, the, the pandemic has a lot of silver linings in driving that change moving forward. We've certainly seen that with our client base for a lot of the same reasons. Many of the law firms that we operate with, you know, all, the, all of their transactions were still happening, you know, were able to continue to happen digitally with their staff working from home. Um, and the adoption meant that the status quo of saying no we always have done it this way was removed you know the barrier to adoption was taken away because there was no alternative and people found that actually embracing technology made their lives easier and won't go back so so mm. i think i think very much so it, it's it's led to a, a, a much greater 
short-term bump in enthusiasm for, for saying this is my, you know this will make my life easier i think also again for the buying and selling sector in in the uk we've just had this massive um 12 month period triggered by the government's sdlt holiday with nearly 135% of the normal volume of transactions in the market. And it's woken a lot of firms up to realising that, again, the, the way they currently operate has, has limitations. You know, you can only do a certain amount of work with the processes as they're currently laid out. And so, again, that, that willingness to adopt um, a digital approach means that you no longer have that limitation on your ability or capacity to grow your businesses. And as the legal marketplace consolidates over the next decade, more and more of those businesses will be looking to manage uh, more volume of transactions with, you know, in a more sophisticated way. So, yeah, the, the, the necessities core, I think, in, in that adoption, we've, we've been trying that for, you know, for 20 years and you always have to find the, the reason to change. Thank you very much. And Teresa, same question to you. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with Andrew and Marcus's in that it is necessity. Uh, I think the real estate market has been very slow to adopt technology because it, it is a very profitable business. And as, as Andrew said, there was no reason to change. Uh, I think so. I think COVID honestly just sped up the trend. It was already headed in that direction. It just sped up the adoption of technology. Um, and I think they discussed a lot of the necessity in, the, in, in ways of working, as in everybody could work digitally and remotely. Uh, but a lot of the necessity is around the business model as well and surviving as a business. Um, so, for example, uh, especially office is the perfect example. Now with, you know, people downsizing their office space um, and their footprint just to fight for uh, new customers, you need to increase your tenant experience um, and adopt that technology and that innovation. So I think it is a necessity um, in terms of survival. Uh, and, for example, even when you... Uh, you know, adopt, you know, automation, um, certain business models with technology, um, it makes you more lean. So compared to your competitors, if they're still, you know, hiring people for manual jobs while you can use technology um, or software to do the same thing, uh, you'll obviously be much more profitable and, and down the line, again, it'll be the survival of the business. So in that sense, it is a big necessity. And um, Teresa, I, I'm quite interested to, to sort of speak to you as well about there's been a huge um, sort of amount of capital in the market um, that we've seen over the last year, and lots of um, tech companies have really thrived actually and done done really quite well um, because there's been a lot of capital in the market, and that's twinned obviously with this um, you know spotlight on, on tech because of the situation everybody's found themselves in because of COVID. Um, and someone was saying to me recently that you know for those companies that raised um, off the back of a circumstantial boom year there's going to be a lot of expectation now on delivering on that on that investment um, and there's a bit of a difference between companies which were doing you know were sort of doing well kind of year on year and then had a kind of a bit of a bolstered year and companies that really did just kind of raise off the back of a spike is that something that you've had much experience in or seen yourself or have a comment on at all yeah absolutely i think the thing that the startups and companies need to prove now is that it wasn't just a bump due to COVID, um, and it's that it's a change that they can sustain. And so I think, I mean, even looking at the public markets, if you, if you look at you know Zoom for example, um, you know their stock price kind of went up and down just based on uh, if people thought COVID would cover or not. But I think what it is is at the end of the day, we are all going to use uh, video calls much more in the future. Even if things go back to normal, people are going to travel less and use video calls. So it's just a matter if um, and, you know investors in the markets think that these startups and companies can sustain the growth 
and can keep the customers that they've captured through the pandemic. Mm. Thank you very much. And a slightly sort of re- reworked version of that question for, for Mar- Marcus and Andrew. Um, you know, I, it, it feels like, and this was discussed at the, the EG Tech Awards, it feels like 2021 is the year which will separate those who have something to offer with those who don't. Um, and that it really has, as I said, shone this spotlight on the sector, which is great for those companies that have a clear strategy and know where they're going and are really solving a problem. But for those who've maybe been winging it a little bit, there are fewer and fewer places left to hide. Um, is that something that you've noticed as well within the sector, kind of a sort of a scrutiny and an accountability, which is allowing those who've got something to say and got something to show to rise to the surface? Um, Marcus, let's, let's go to you on that. Uh, I don't know. I've thought uh, it, it always amazes me that that the, um, the 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 smoke and mirrors gets as far as it does. I don't <laughs> think twenty one will be the will be the year that it that it unravels. Um, but I think next year will probably if, if the those that you know can't actually deliver when real decisions are being made because the, the decision making process is a little bit stalled right now just because of that uncertainty that I that I talked about before. Um, so I think you can, they can certainly still wing it a little bit. Um, but, you know, the, the, uh, if it's not solving a problem and it's not real digital transformation, it's just kind of dressed up as that, um, then I think, you know, the cracks will definitely appear in the next, in the next year or so. And, uh, and you know, there, there's, a, there's a fair bit of that around. Um, and, again, part of that is because of the fragmented nature of the prop tech market and part of it is because, they're not really solving a problem that it, that exists. So, you know, I think it, I think it will. There will be a, a consolidation or a clearing out of that. Mm, thank you very much. And Andrew. Yeah, I agree. I, I think there's there's um, a bubble at the moment. Uh, my prop techs have uh, been a buzzword for probably the last two or three years. Lots of firms jumping into the space. I think it's absolutely correct that that there are many solutions to problems that don't exist that are out there. You know, people have some ideas and build off the back of it. I, I just think what you're seeing is a replication of, of what happens in, in other industries. Um, there'll be, you know, there'll be some firms that are exposed and, and haven't really got a, a solid business model. There'll be some firms that consolidate and get snapped up. Um, and probably you won't know the proper outcome for maybe five years or so until it all settles as to whether, you know, it, this was the year that, that exposed it or whether it was just the general um growth of a new market sector you know as we mm. move digital space and and new companies pop up with ideas it, it's inevitable that eventually they will consolidate down to the core providers with the strong the strong business models that's all you know that's that's always been the case wherever you look and and, and i think there's been a bit of a shift actually um in terms of people wanted to build platforms that went all the way from the end user back to the source of truth and these sort of big platforms mm were you know I, I say at the moment you know it was so 2010s um but you know now actually it's 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 much it's a much better approach and 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 we've really taken to this philosophy it's a much better approach in turn to, to put a stack together which may mean that some of these smaller businesses that are on their own maybe not solving a problem but if they're put together as part of a stack um, and they're and they're able to communicate in a, in a, in a sort of common language. Then I think that that's gonna that, that that's gonna emerge as a as a real trend in the next in the next few years. And I think that uh, you know a bunch of stacks will emerge as as like broader solutions, which are a combination of, of different prop techs working together. 
Thank you very much. Um, and while I, mean, I think last year was, was very noisy, um, and actually before last year as well, the industry had a tendency to be a bit noisy, um, sort of the tech around real estate. Um, and while on one hand, it's quite easy to say, you know, the real estate sector really needs to adopt X, Y and Z. Um, it's been really slow to adopt. Um, that's all true. But there is a degree and there certainly was, and I think there still is a degree of there being a bit too much going on and how as, you know, um, you know, a stakeholder, how is anybody involved in trying to make these decisions around technology and what's required how do you cut through the noise and work out what's the right thing what you actually need um, and until there's a sort of a, any kind of considerable consolidation i think that's always going to remain a problem so do you guys have any thoughts on on how that can be done and how the sector how the real estate sector can really cut through um, some of that noise and really hone in on what's required and i suppose it'll be different depending on who it is you're talking about because different companies will need different things but how do you make that those decisions and how do you hone in so Teresa let's start with you yeah absolutely I I think the key is to focus on which problems they're trying to solve um, and what they can actually do with the culture they have um, so I talk with a lot of our LPs and real estate partners trying to implement technology and and it's not easy because it's not just as simple as you know hey use the software everybody's happy using it it it's really is a culture change when you're trying to innovate within um, so I think you need to be very realistic and look around and see what resources you, you have in, in both human capital um, and financial. It's not just the cost of, you know, a software or a new platform. It's also, you know, the time allocation on teams to be able to work out that software and, and you know, build it into their day-to-day -day work stream. Um, and again, you kind of need to focus on who are the key players within the company that can innovate and which areas are the smartest to start with. There are probably points to innovate across the whole company, but which ones, again, are uh, I know <laughs> they didn't like the term low-hanging fruit, but kind of what do you want to start with and what are big goals that you need to work throughout time? Um, and then I think, again, you know, most people are focused on an ROI. So where will you see the most um, kind of return on any investment in technology um, and then work towards those solutions? Because I think if you don't have that buy-in um, based around ROI, based on the culture of the company, the technology will not be implemented well um, and it will be a bit of a wasted effort. Thank you very much. Same question to Andrew. I, I agree. I think, and, and to take it to, to a more specific sort of vision for, for the sector that we're in with the legal profession um, and building on, on, on what we said, we, we have a vision of where we think the sector can migrate to over time, which involves access to data and information about property and analytics and, and being able to use AI to manage vast amounts of information, but you can't sell that to the sector today. You, you need to take them on this journey as an organization, which means that in the first instance, you, you modernize and digitize some of the stuff they do today, some of the processes, uh, some of the ways that they manage their existing clients, and you slowly introduce over time elements of, of, of what you're building into the future that lead them towards this opportunity to fully digitize what they do there are very there are certainly very few businesses in our sector that could switch from uh, the way they work today to a fully digitized um, approach you know tomorrow and i guess you know the business models that that work most successfully are the ones that recognize that amongst their client base and create a, a work path for them 
to go from how I how can you improve and, and increase your return on this investment right now by modernizing some of your current activities versus how can you completely change the way that you work um, you know within five or ten years because now you've got access to information or processes that you didn't even believe were were possible or couldn't imagine you kind of take them on that on that journey and that's certainly the way that, that we've looked to approach it thank you very much and marcus yeah i don't want to, i definitely don't want to completely disparage the low-hanging fruit thing i just think if you're building an entire if you build an entire solution and it seems easy. And again, we've worked a little bit around the, the, the ten engagement space, and I'll just use it because I, I used it before. But just just um, putting putting a website on and believing that your tenants are going to be engaged and throwing a few people at it doesn't solve the problem. But but what I wanted to say, like, I totally agree with, with with Teresa definitely that that it is you know they've got to be outcomes driven, and so you really need to think about what you want your outcomes to be. And then your entire organization needs to be committed to digital transformation and working with, with really big landlords, um, you know, in the UK and in the US, there's that, that, that is still, there's, there's still people kicking and screaming coming along to that. But any property person who's a leader in a property business that says, I'm not really a technology person and I don't understand technology, so I'm going to abdicate responsibility to this person that's worked here for six months that apparently understands technology there's a real disconnect there and that's why you get some outcomes that aren't you know that, that aren't driven by people who have a good understanding of the property industry and I think the gap that, that you're sort of saying you know what what else needs to happen I think there does need to be an adoption and an embracing of of technology by the leadership in in, in property companies um, and, and certainly, you know, we, we um, you know, we, we encourage, you know, we encourage the, the um, landlords we're working with to be very outcomes driven and to get involved and to get a good understanding of, of what technology can deliver for them. Thank you very much. And you mentioned um, what technology can deliver for them. And this is actually a question which I haven't asked very often, if at all, I, I realise, and now I'm wondering why. Um, maybe it's because there's no easy answer, which I'm sure you'll be all, all be delighted to hear as I'm about to ask the question. Um, but how do we know when tech in real estate has been successful? Um, you know, what does success look like? Um, so let's start with you, Andrew, on that. <laughs> Thanks for that. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> I get that one. Okay. Um, well, that, that's, that, I suppose the answer to that really does depend in, in which sector of the, the industry you're, you're in and how you're looking at it. Um, we've already described that, that all, of the, you know, all businesses that are entering on this journey have to have a clear view in their own mind as, as to what, you know, what success looks like. What are we trying to achieve by, by this digital transformation? And do we have the buy-in of the organisation? Um, and I suppose each, you know, therefore each business needs to set its own view of, you know, has this transformation been successful? Uh, question number one: Are we still in business? You know, have we survived? Have we survived? Are we able to, you know, to to trade and and continue to be successful in our market space? Are we winning market share over our competition? Is it is it working for us as a as an investment? Um, and has it changed the way that we're able to survive? have we moved into the next phase of um, property and in our case ownership and, and um, 
you know, transactions, you know, are we still able to transact in this marketplace, given what's happening, not just in the UK, but but clearly worldwide in the property sector? You know, can UK PLC still compete with property investment across the world? You know, do we still attract investors when it's simple and, and easy to, you know, to invest in Dubai or in Singapore? And so, the, the, but it's, it's ever changing. You never get to a point where you're going to be able to say, yes, we're done, because there's always going to be the next challenge. There's always going to be something else that's that's coming along. So it's a, it's a tricky one, and I think each firm has to look at that for themselves to decide how they're going to measure that. Thank you very much. Theresa, same question to, to you. How do we know when real estate tech has been successful? Um, I, I absolutely agree. I think you just need to set very um, specific goals for whatever technology you're trying to implement. So, for example, if you're implementing a you know, new, new property management system, um, then you should expect, you know, I want to decrease my cost by 25%. I think the goal should be as tangible and as specific as that um, and treat it as any other project. Uh, I, I think in terms of adoption overall, it might be a little bit harder to, for example, measure uh, has the culture of the company changed to be, you know, an in innovative and agile uh, company culture. Yeah, of course, that, that will be harder to measure. Um, but I think you know, maybe you have specific goals on, you know, what teams are using technologies, um, you know, how many initiatives have been run, um, you know, anything tied to tangible um, KPIs is always good. Thank you very much. And finally, same question to Marcus. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to sound very repetitive, but I'm going to come back to outcomes. So if you're achieving the outcomes that you're striving for, and they're many and varied, you're achieving the outcomes that you're striving for and you're doing it for, you know, a reasonable price, um, you know, then, then I think you, your technology is working for you. Uh, and and the, the thing is that the outcomes have become much more varied in the, in the property business. And it's interesting, like, how many similarities there are between the property business and the software business, actually, both in terms of the multiple of, of, of what the businesses are worth based on their revenue and also the fact that, you know, that it's a, it's a long-standing organism that should be evolving iteratively. And I think um, Andrew was talking about, you know, the constant change and it's never done. You know, in, in Illity, we use the, the, the term iterative and it's a term that's used a lot in, in, in software as well. So... Uh, you know, I think that there there are some similarities there, and again, it's just about um, focusing, you know, deriving good outcomes, achieving those outcomes, uh, and sort of educating the the leadership that that um, you know technology can be really helpful in doing that. Thank you very much. Um, and it would be remiss to talk about what we're talking about without sort of specifically thinking about the occupier, the tenant, and what they want um i mean ultimately what what occupiers want and need um is you know the the holy grail of creating technology and tech solutions that work um so what kind of feedback are we are we getting from from the occupiers and the tenants around around real estate tech um and then the second part of that question is is there anything that we can learn from them in terms of where we should be going next um so marcus i know we i know you just answered the last question but let's start with you on that one sure um yeah, so it's it's going in a in a, in a few different directions. Um, I, I think the word collaboration is is also a reasonably new word in the in the property industry. And so, tenants actually, you know, as the building becomes more digital and more connected, there's more capability for them to both uh, execute their workplace strategy and and also integrate 
um, their workplace strategy with the with the built environment around them. And landlords really should be focusing on you know building a collaborative offering for this 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 workplace that that people are, are jointly working in, or or this this uh, you know place that people are living in. And so it's it's really I think collaboration is is um, is something that we're seeing emerging. And that and interestingly, a lot of the landlords we worked with were like, yeah, the smaller guys will want to do that, but the bigger guys they all have their own thing. Um, I think that's actually changing a little bit, particularly as as digitization enables things like digital access and uh, and, and is automating some of the mundane tasks that used to take up a lot of people's time. So, you know, we're seeing definitely collaboration. And then the, the second thing is um, I, I think that they want landlords to be responsive to their needs. And, and the tenants aren't exactly sure what the workplace is going to look like. And so I think that, that they actually, um, you know, that, that they're actually looking for some guidance on how, you know, what workplace strategy is going to be in the future. So I, I think that that's interesting. And then finally... I think that we can't like have a podcast in this day and age without talking about ESG, um, and obviously ESG transparency. You know, ESG has, has typically been focused at uh, a building level and at a building facilities manager level, and the tenants haven't necessarily had any visibility or ability to act on on uh, on data that is showing what their carbon footprint might be, and I think that's a going to be a really big emerging demand um, moving into the future. Thank you very much. And yeah, absolutely great to, to make sure that we're talking about ESG. And I, I agree, a podcast in this day and age um, would be no good without it. So thank you very much. Um, great points there. And um, Andrew, let's come to you on, on the same on the same question around occupiers and tenants. I think Marcus has made some very good points there around commercial space. So Perhaps I'll take it in a, in a different direction and talk about residential, particularly as, as a, a big chunk of our market sector is, is very much aimed at, at residential property ownership. And, and the fact that you've got um, a group of consumers now who are, whose biggest complaint is the inefficiency and time it takes to complete transactions or any kind of, of, of sort of sale purchase process with, with home buying and selling. And so really what they're asking for is, is for much more visibility through the chain, much more information and, and a speeding up of the whole process, beginning with, um, uh, the, using a phrase that's out there at the moment, the, the concept of the, the property logbook, you know, the information of a property existing prior to a transaction taking place so that it's not fragmented, the, the record is permanent, you're able to begin uh, right from the outset without having to collect data every single time a property transact. Particularly important because in the UK, you're talking about home buying and selling happening, you know, once every seven, eight years for individuals. So it's not a process they're particularly familiar with. So, yeah, you, you very much need to listen to what the, cons the, old, the end consumer of this market is going to be. And they're saying we want more visibility and we want to understand why it takes anything between 12 weeks and, and, and six months for me to get my transaction over the line. Got to put it on the blockchain, Andrew. We'll get the other buzzword in there. Oh, <laughs> now, now, now you're getting me all excited. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. And Teresa. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, going back to the first question you asked us, is if it's a necessity, a lot of it is that tenants are now asking for these changes. So, um, landlords and landowners have no option but to make these prop tech changes. 
Um, I, I think, for example, a lot of these tenants um, are, are used to a better customer experience in, you know, their personal lives and their day-to-day -day lives um, and from other industries. And real estate really is catching up to improve that tenant experience and customer experience so that it matches what people um, experience in other parts of their lives. Uh, I, I think tenant experience is very hot right now for a mix of reasons, not just in terms of big tenant experience like HQO, um, but even on things we see like air quality particularly through COVID or, you know, a lot of wildfires happening all throughout the world. Um, air quality is something people are now caring about, not just in their homes, but also in their office space. So we see that, um, you know, a metric such as you would say, hey, you know, it's uh, the office is set at 19 degrees. People are asking, hey, what is the air quality score in my workspace? Um, and it's starting to be something they care about. And this, again, of course, ties back to what exactly we were saying, ESG. Um, the tenant well-being is not just, you know, um, focused on carbon. It, it's a whole holistic group of things, um, including, you know, is, is the, the comfort of their office, um, you know, is it, you know, good for the environment. Um, so we see that the tenant is really driving these through the expectations and, you know, people will vote with their money um, and will go to office spaces or residential spaces or commercial real estate where these things align. Wonderful. Thank you very much. Well, we went through all of our um, sort of discussion points and arcs and we've come um, to finish on talking about occupiers, tenants and ESG, which I mean, I can't think of a, of a better place really to, to wrap things up. Um, so I just want to thank all of our um, podcast panellists for joining me today. It's been a really interesting discussion. There's so much talk around this subject. And I think that this was a really fresh take on some of the issues that people are still trying to get their heads around. Around. So thank you all so much for joining me and hopefully have you back on podcast soon.